Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Arsholics podcast. We are, um, we're not on the whistle, but we're kind of on the whistle. It's the same day. Um, so I guess that qualifies as on the whistle, does it, Aaronin? I'll, I'll give you it. It's on the whistle, but if it was a really, really long whistle, it would be on the whistle. And also, I mean, if we were at the game, it would have been a long train journey back, right? That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we should do that one day. Go to an away game and then record on the train. What kind of chaos that would be. I mean, maybe, we, we, we might go to forest right so let's, let's think about yeah. that that might be i mean depending on the situation the, it might yeah. be like a mental train ride judging on the state uh, of our conversations post game most games i can't imagine it's gonna be like much quality when we've probably had a few drinks and uh if we win the the chat is even more ambitious and uh <laughs> nonsensical usually it's true. And speaking of a few drinks, I have had a few drinks today and I'm still drinking partly in celebration because, I mean, um, this might be my favourite performance of the season, to be honest, today. Uh, Arsenal have gone to St. James's Park and won 2-0. It was, uh, the, we weren't bookies' favourite today. Um, Newcastle were the bookies' favourite, which says something. And this was the fixture that when we were sort of looking at the final eight, or so games and you know obviously there are some fixtures which we thought we would win that we didn't but Newcastle was the one where it was like uh, well obviously we're not going to win at Newcastle you know obviously we're going to drop points there so where are we going to get you know the, the rest of our points but we've gone there and kept a clean sheet 1-2-0 with just a just character resilience everything how did you feel about Aaron and do you feel as proud as I do yeah it was really really enjoyable I it was a bit of a weird one pre-game because I wasn't that nervous, mainly because I'd watched City the day before. And yeah, there was this, you know, after that City game where, you know, they were they were very good at some points and then some points they were less good, but they you know, they got the job done as they always do. Um in my head I was like, that's, that's probably it. This is gonna be a... I didn't think we'd lose, but I, I kind of was. If I was going to bet, I would have put money on a draw. No, because you, um, did, you didn't think you would because because what, what a lot of Arsenal fans. If the vibe generally on you know on on social media anyway was that that you know we well people weren't very confident. Put it that way. Yeah, no, I thought it would be a score draw. I think um, like a two-two or three-three because look, we we're we're a good, we're not a bad team, right? We haven't become a bad team just because we drew a few games. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was always going to be, you know, which defense holds up and which attack can take their chances. And, yeah, that was probably a story of the game today. But there, I, th- I thought there'd be goals. I thought it'd be an open game. I thought it'd be end-to-end. But, no, I was very, very impressed by what we did today. And, yeah, I, it had a lot of the things that we don't normally do, which is, like, actually de- defend well, which is one. We haven't done that for a long time. Um take our chances in big moments, stay in games, don't, you know, manage the game well. And, you know, that, you know, we kind of, we looked like an experienced team today and we haven't looked like an experienced winning team for a long time. We could have done with some of that experience uh, a few games ago, to be honest. But um, look, I'm sure we'll talk about that, but no, like huge credit to Arteta, huge credit to the players. I thought, you know, almost every player on that pitch was excellent and you know that's guaranteed and whatever way you look at that 
guaranteeing second place with what three three games to go at second place at a minimum is a phenomenal phenomenal achievement and we should be it's brilliant isn't it brilliant still on track for 90 points which is imagine thinking that Arsenal will get 90 points you know at the beginning of the season you, you, you never would the most optimistic Arsenal fan would, would not have said 90 but 90 points wins you the league often it, it wins you the league if you're not up against a, a, a super team that is Manchester City and you know we won't get into why Man City are a super team but look they are ruthless they are relentless and you know if we are up against any other team you know even if we're up against a Man City that was five percent less good we would be right in this title race and we still are to be honest but um you're right if we get 90 points you cannot say that has not been a successful season yeah, hugely successful if we do get 90 points. Obviously, yeah, a few games left, obviously, to, to hit that 90 target. But anyway, I imagine it is the target. I imagine that's what Arteta is saying, is that all we can do is control our, you know, our, ourselves. We can't do anything about Man City's results now. Um, and that's got to be the target. But yeah, just like let's indulge in this game a little bit, right? Because there were some things that you mentioned about um, sort of professionalism and there were some themes that you, you, you kind of mentioned about this victory and things that we had been looking to see. Now, like... One of the things I've always wanted Arsenal to start doing was was not necessarily expect that a, t- a game is going to go one way the whole way or the other. And what I mean by that is we seem to get in, the team seems to get in these modes where where they play away at an, a Newcastle or away at a, a City or away at whoever – when it starts going badly and when you're suffering, it feels like the players just go, oh my God, it's going to be a really long day and it's not going to be our day. And then suddenly all the nerves go in. And what I really wanted to see is them say, well, you're going to go to places like St. James's Park and you're going to suffer. It, we might be a team that likes to play in possession, but you're going to suffer. They, you're going to need your, to ride your luck. You're going to need to rely on your keeper. You're going to need to just rely on them maybe not putting some stuff away during periods of the game. But you've got to just keep, you've got to keep grinding. You've got to keep battling and you've got to think that you ride those periods out and you're going to get, you're going to get your time. And if you do the basics right, you'll probably get more time. And that's what we did today. It felt like we suffered, but just kept going. And there was this just, there was a calmness. And we talk about why that calmness was there because the team selection was, was, was really interesting and probably played a part in that. But we had been calling out, I think, for our senior players to step up recently. You know, it's felt like in this little period where, you know, our, our blip, if you want to call it, uh, you know, you look to your senior players and and it's felt at times that maybe they didn't really step up to the plate. Today, mate, I thought the senior players, Jesus, Xhaka, Jorginho, obviously Odegaard's captain and, you know, but, you know obviously he is younger, but so let, let's just focus on that first three. I thought they were exceptional today, mate. I don't know what how you felt. Yeah, yeah, I think you, you nailed it. We, this was a game, the only way we were going to win this was if we won it, if we didn't lose it, if that makes sense. And you're right, we, there have been many times, especially over these last few games, where we just needed to ride it out a bit and not, and not lose it. 
And I felt like there were periods um, against Man City where we were just like, don't lose it. Where were periods against West Ham or against Southampton where we were like, just don't concede in these next 15, 20 minutes. You don't have to go and score. You just have to not concede. You have to sit back and you have to sacrifice our football, the beautiful football that we play, the possession, the pressing. You have to just not do that and you just have to survive. And that doesn't mean you're a bad team. (laughs) It means that you're an intelligent team. And I think that message finally landed today um and look it could have gone very badly in the first few minutes but you know i said it on our group chat on whatsapp that look we just need to ride out these first 20 minutes we don't need to create chances we don't need to do anything we just need to not concede and we need to not give them the game and um we did that and yeah a large part of that was because we had that experience we had Jorginho, we had jacko i thought was phenomenal today we had jesus who Again, you probably watch match of the day today. You probably don't think he's that good because he didn't, you know, he didn't really create any chances. He didn't really get any assists. But his presence, his work rate, his running was really good today. I thought, and, and his brains is streetwise today. It's so streetwise. Exactly. You have to. You have to like. Yeah, and he's he's always got that in him, right? And that's kind of what this experience. He's got that Man City <laughs> in him, and. um we needed all of them today. And then when you've got that experience, that core, okay, we're not going to lose it today. You then have, you throw in these young, brilliant, dynamic, energetic players around them. And then you've got quite a good package. And it was just a case of, could we get that balance right between experience, dynamism, courage, and and a little bit of luck, of course. But you, you need that in um, in these big away games. Yeah, you need the luck. And it's that thing that you you mentioned just before as well, which I think is the essence to how I sort of started this piece, where you said you're not a bad team if you have those periods, right? And I think we suffer from that. I think when we have those periods, I feel self-doubt creeps in and I feel these players then just kind of go into their shell and and really, but it's not about that. And and Jorginho said it in his post-match interview. He was just like, you know, talking about how proud he was of the team, but he's like, you've got some there's some games where you just got to do this you just have to sacrifice and you just have to suffer right and it was beautiful to see man because you know that penalty when when the penalty shout happened and you thought it wasn't going to be our day and it rightly wasn't awarded a penalty it was you know fantastic you know VAR has had its criticisms this season, but this is what it's there for, right? VAR is there to get these calls right because that changes the game otherwise doesn't it one nil at that point yeah, I mean that, and then I think Jacob Murphy hitting the post in the second minute. It it was a storm we had to ride out, and um, look, we get a bit of luck with Murphy. Just you know, I think we're a bit sloppy at the start. The atmosphere is very loud, and yeah, you know, we don't handle that that bit of play. And then yeah, the penalty. You know, you watch the replay there. I thought Kivio actually did really, really well to make sure that it wasn't a handball. He, you know. He, considerable effort to make sure that his hand wasn't in the way and then you know the referee who i thought you know we'll go we'll probably go on to this referee at some point but i thought the referee was absolutely diabolical today um who got pretty much every call wrong in my opinion and you know thankfully we have var where um he could yeah, they can protect us from referees like completely making awful calls like that and and look people people go on about var and yes it has issues yes the people who are 
um, on those VA on those making those VAR calls. They're not perfect either, but my God, you do not want to just expose yourself to one incompetent referee completely deciding big games. I'd rather have two or three incompetent referees than one incompetent referee. Put it that way, um, because look, he gives that penalty where we probably lose that game, and we'll be thinking like, look, that wasn't a handball, and we'll be going back and thinking, you know, why didn't like why didn't someone look at it? Why wasn't there? VAR. Um, so yeah, like I'm, I'm still very pro VAR. I think it needs to exist. It it needs work. But look, it was, it was a good, it was a good moment for VAR. That that penalty. It was. It was definitely. It was definitely a good moment for VAR. And so as Russ points out, yeah, you know, there was that. There was the. There was the hitting the post. We were under a lot of pressure in that first ten minutes, and and on the basis of what we know of this Arsenal team. Um, in in games like that last season at St James's Park, yeah, I wonder what would have happened if we had gone a goal down, but we didn't. I said we didn't, right? So we 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 didn't, and then and then after that, something seemed to change in the team. We started getting a little bit more composure, etc. And Odegaard for about fifteen minutes. I mean, he was really, he had a really good game anyway, but there was a, there was like a fifteen minute period around kind of where I think his goal was kind of in the sort of towards the start of that 15 minute period he was exceptional was he absolutely unplayable he just he turned into well I, w- I was going to say Pete Kevin De Bruyne but maybe th- we're doing him a disservice now because in that goal that he scored he has scored the most goals the most goals outside of penalties I'm not phrasing this correctly but the most non-penalty goals by a midfielder in the Premier League in a season yeah yeah so, I, c- I can't believe that to be true yeah, because Frank, Frank Lampard, I think, has um, a 13. I think this is 15, right? Odegaard's is 15. Well, wait, it might be 15 or 14. Whatever it is, Lampard had what has one less. Really? Yeah. Okay, I guess it's probably down to like who you call a midfielder and what is a midfielder. But yeah, I, I mean, agree with you. I think we're talking um, about the central sort of midfielders. The, the, yeah. That. Yeah. Um, no, look, he's having a phenomenal season and it's these big moments where he has really stepped up. You know, he stepped up in the last game against Chelsea and for, you know, the goal was well taken and, you know, he had the confidence to take on the shot. And then for those 15, 20 minutes afterwards, it completely transformed us as a team, but also him as a player, he was, you know, just found himself in all sorts of space. He, yeah, I think he set up uh, Martinelli for one chance. Then, yeah, we go on and then he wasn't involved in this, but then Saka was put through and then Saka uh, misses a chance as well. And, you know, after I think Sky showed a stat, which was like pre, pre-goal pre and post-goal, like our pass completion. And I think pre-goal, I think our pass completion was around 70 to 75%. And then yeah. the 10 minutes after we scored, our pass completion was about 97. So, yeah, we really did turn the screw. And then it was really really good to see us play our game because i don't think newcastle really knew what to do at that point because look there yeah this is a big game for them let's not mess about here this wasn't like last season where we rocked up newcastle were playing really well but they didn't really have anything to play for newcastle are fighting for top four they needed three points right and i think that second you know the second half of that first half where we really kind of just balance that game out. 
I think they were really confused about what was going on. They didn't know, like, should we sit back? Are we going to get battered here? Because Odegaard is finding space. Should we go at them? But we're not really sure what to do because they're playing their football. And I think you really have to commend the the bravery of this team to just go and do that, right? There was a moment, I'm, I'm not sure if it was before the goal or after the goal, where we, um, where I think Martinelli was played in. And um, we played that out from the back. So Ramsdale played it out. I think Gabriel was involved. Xhaka was involved. Played it to Odegaard. And you know, the biggest criticism I had of this team um, against City, actually, was that we we didn't really you know, show what we were about in that game. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was very happy to just see us have a go and, you know, try and impact this game in a positive way by doing what we do. Yeah. Well, what, what do you, you know, there's a, there's a criticism that have been paid kind of painted on Arsenal quite often this season, even the games that we've won <laughs> has been that we're too emotional, right? That's been thrown out a lot. I felt Newcastle were very emotional today. I felt like it was, yeah. there was something, right? There was something because maybe it was from what happened last season. They probably had so much belief and the St. James's Park crowd are amazing and maybe because of how they started. But I couldn't quite figure out why we were getting so much space in in kind of that Odegaard area. It felt like no one was protecting the back four ever. And it felt like mm. they were still playing quite a high line. And so I, I, I wasn't quite sure whether that was tactical, whether that's something that we, we had worked on or do you think that they just did that really badly and was it just too gung-ho from their perspective? Yeah, I think I think they were just unsure about should they keep it tight, should they sit back, because that's what they did uh, against us at the Emirates, right? They realised very quickly that we were basically too good to kind of compete with them and they basically sat back and they were like, we're going to time waste, we're going to kill this game off and we're going to play for a draw. And... I think they were unsure about that, but then they were like, no, we need to go and win because we're, we're in the top four race now. And and actually, I think you probably look at it and say, actually, maybe this is an example of Newcastle like not yet knowing how to act like a big team either. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like all of a sudden, like, hang on a sec, we're favourites to beat Arsenal here. We're in a Champions League spot race. What do we do? Like, And they're not the 15th place team anymore they are top four team and this is a you know a big a big six head-to-head or whatever they call it right and i don't think they were mentally ready for that it's gonna be really interesting to see how they you know assuming they do get into the champions league next season how they handle these big head-to-head games going going forward because that's the expectation right and yeah they're probably not there and i think we did out um out emotion that in that sense and um one other thing I, I picked up on which uh was really interesting was i think arteta probably did a really good job publicly of trying to kill the crowd like i remember listening to um i can't remember which podcast it was i think it must have been ask blog where pre-game where they were saying actually arteta and his pre-match conference was basically really dull <laughs> and really boring and um and look we don't we don't know if this is true but i think the theory now is that the reason he was very dull and very boring was he was very reluctant to give journalists headlines that would like get the crowd up or get newcastle up 
or like put more pressure on the game. He kind of was very neutral. And apparently he even said that pre-game when a journalist asked him about the the documentary, he said he hadn't watched the documentary. Um, but then you found out post-game, I don't know if you saw the interview with Aaron Ramsdale. Yeah, that he showed the scene. He, he yeah. like literally showed it to them. Yeah. <laughs> there. So yeah. he was obviously like the message to the team pre-game was like, we want revenge. But I think he... I assume it was a very deliberate tactic to not tell the crowd that this was a revenge game. Because if you do that, I think Newcastle probably go into that a bit differently. This is really interesting. So do do we see a manager learning here? Do we see do we see growth? Because he's a young manager. He's an elite talent. I would say he's the elite talent in Europe in terms of coaching. Um, but he's still young. He's still figuring out this is his first job. And uh this is an example, what you've just said, of something potentially that he, he's he's learning and he's developing. And and I think we saw some things on the pitch today, selection-wise, which may have suggested that. I mean, he's yeah, he, he went with Jorginho today. So he went with a similar team to what he did against Chelsea, which I think we've discussed on the podcast several times. Kivior in particular was someone that we, we were puzzled as to why he wasn't getting a go over holding... Um, and then I, I don't know. I mean, it's too simplistic to say that. See, we 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 told you so, Arteta. I mean, it's way too too simplistic. I don't think we're arrogant enough to say something like that. But maybe there was an element where Arteta was um, thinking that he was going to show faith in holding, and that was going to uh, spur holding to take it to another level. And that was I, I don't know. I don't know. But there's that with Jorginho playing him in a game like this. It would have been easy to just go with Partey. And the subs also were really interesting. It was, you know, taking Zinchenko off at 60 minutes when in previous games this season, he's waited till maybe 70, 75, a bit too late. Putting, you know, things like that. Thought were really interesting. Do, do, do we see a manager that is is being more and more aware of his own self-development? Yeah. I, yeah, I think you're spot on. I think that this is, as great as Arteta is, this is his was third season in full-time management mm. or third or fourth season. It's the first time he's ever been in a title race in his career. He doesn't know how to, he, even as a player, how many title races was he in? Uh, maybe at Rangers. I don't know, but mm. um, like he is still figuring out the intensity, how to like manage himself and manage the players during this title race, how to manage the, the dressing room, the halftime team talks, all of this is very new to him. And look, I think we'll probably retro this and do a bit of a season post-mortem at the end of the season, wherever we finish. But I think, look, there's certainly, I think he'll probably admit to having made some mistakes. I think the holding one is something we've talked about for a long time where that for us, it was very clear that holding wasn't working out he was having a very negative impact not just on our build-up play but i also thought um since he's come into this recent spell he's just been a really bad defender actually and just not doing good defensive things and it had to change the question is when should he have changed it and this is always a judgment call right i think you raj was saying that he should have done something against southampton um i can see I can see why he didn't do it against Man City because I think you put Kibiyor in for his first Premier League oh, start yeah. against Man City. 
we probably still lose. And then everyone's like, what are you doing with Kibio, right? Um, so, so yeah. And then the similar judgment call probably needed to be made on Thomas Partey, right? I'm, I'm quite sympathetic on this one because I, you know, I have the firm belief until today that basically Arsenal do not play well when Thomas Partey is not in the team. Um, maybe against Chelsea, actually. Um, and I, I reckon Arteta probably genuinely believed that, right? Which is, look, I've never seen this team function without Thomas Partey and function well. So even if he's playing badly, I'm going to keep going with him. And, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, but could we have done with Jorginho against West Ham? Could we have done done with Jorginho against Liverpool? Um, Southampton, where Partey really struggled in, mo- in moments. And... Um, Again, it's very easy to say that now when Kibi or Jorginho have come in and we've done okay. It's not always like for like, but mm. yeah, I think this is a manager who's kind of just figuring out, you know, we've always talked about how he has these trusted players and sometimes I think he probably needs to flex on that sometimes, both maybe trusting some players too much, but also he probably needs to trust a few players more. He, he does. And I guess... In fairness to him, with Kibior, he was learning. He, he's been learning about him, I suppose. You know, it's not someone that has been in the squad for a long time, and and maybe he just felt that there was too too much of a variable, including the left foot, right foot thing. But the, let's talk about Kibior a little bit. Um, I'm going to go back to Russ Morgan's comment. Russ is talking about Zinchenko costing us at the back, but I'll go back to that in a second because I do want to talk about that. But Kibior, it's it's interesting because. He, on the face of it, is an Arsenal defender in terms of the profile that we've been looking for. Someone technical, fast, basically. Technical and fast, right? And and, when I, and, and I include, you know, in technical, I include composed. He's a pretty, he comes across as someone who likes to have the ball um, and he's not afraid to get involved. He's He's not someone who... You, you, he strikes me as he's not a centre back who's basically hoping to not receive the ball. He's actually looking to receive it, and his physical attributes, everything that I've just mentioned, regardless of whether he's any good at defending, because I would, I'd sort of go back to what I'm still not sure that he's been tested defensively because today I think it was it was it was a it was a really big team effort. I think a lot of the midfielders did an incredible job defensively, but in terms of our system, I mean we are we are. Obviously, you can see it. We are playing higher lines now. Kibio is back. It's a similar line to how we played when Saliba is back. He's got that recovery pace, but he's also not. What, what's impressed me about him is he's also not just left-footed. He's he's clearly two-footed. He's clearly comfortable passing with his right foot, and he was doing that a lot today. I never once saw him in a situation. This is what I saw with Holding so frequently since he, he came into the side. I never saw Kibio do something out of panic. I never saw him do something to say, just just to be safe, I'm going to head this as far as I can. Or just to be safe, I'm going to like, you know, go 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 into like Rose Ed. I never saw that. And I know that sometimes you need that. But with him, I felt there was a personality characteristic that meant that he didn't have to do that. And I feel that rubs off on the on the rest of the team. And the rest of the team felt a bit more, all right, he's not William Saliba, but he's got that air, that, that those kind of ingredients. Do you feel that, you know, he's 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 helped get us back to as a Saliba mode. Yeah, I think, yeah, look, you're right. I don't think he was amazing today, but 
I don't think he was terrible either. And I think the the benchmark, the bench line, the baseline, sorry, was don't be terrible, like, don't be Rob Holding, because I feel I feel really bad like just singling out one player, but Rob Holding was just so so bad. And again, the emphasis was always on oh he can't pass, he's you know he we have to sit deeper, his pace is bad, but he was making really bad decisions. Like you said, the panic, heading the ball out, kicking it long when he didn't need to kick it long. But sometimes he would just go and like clatter a player for no reason when he didn't need to and when he needed to back off. And there were times where he was um, backing off and you'd be like, why are you backing off? Go forward, right? And what we needed from Kibio today or any defender that comes into that role was just do the basics and do the basics well yeah. um, because you are surrounded by enough good defensive players who if you do something wrong or you get beaten to the ball or you lose a header, that's okay because actually, you know, there's enough pace. He's got the recovery pace himself, but also the players around him are quick um, there. But what we don't want is someone who takes away right from other players. And that's what Rob Holding was doing. Rob Holding was making Gabriel worse. Rob Holding was making Aaron Ramsdale worse. Rob Holding was probably having an effect on Thomas Partey as well. Um, and, the one thing we did on top of that is also then put Jorginho alongside him. And there were quite a few times where, you know, I, I haven't seen the stats, but it looked like Kibio was just playing the ball to Jorginho and Jorginho was just making it work. And mm-hmm. I have to hold my hands up, right? I've not been a big fan of Jorginho since he, since he's come in. I've always thought that he was slow in transition, especially that he, you know, he gets beaten off the ball like quite easily in terms of like it's easy to bypass him. But you know, today I thought he was he was fantastic. Um so it shows what I know about football and telling Mikel Arteta what to do. I mean it's a good thing no, I'm I, mean, the podcast, mate, I mean, but, <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, I thought he was like <laughs> I thought he was really good and I thought the fact that you know, I think he helped give you just you know like you there were times, I'm not sure if it was just Kibio, but like a lot of them would just play the ball to Jorginho yeah. and in difficult situations or play it to Odegaard or play it to Xhaka and they would just deal with it. And yeah, it's, it's I don't think our back four was like especially good today, but I think the midfield really helped them out. Maybe this is it. Do you know what I mean? It's like Russ's comment here about, do you think Arteta is regretting not putting faith in Kibi or Sina? Do you know what it might be? It might be actually down to what you've said. Maybe the issue, right, is that if he had played Kibi in our team with Partey and Jacker in the midfield, maybe that wouldn't have been the answer. And maybe he needed someone like Jorginho. So maybe the regret, if anything, is not switching to Kibio and Jorginho earlier. Maybe that's what we needed. And and I guess it's, you know, it's hard to predict that was what was needed. But I think, you know, maybe he looked maybe he looked and he looked at these games. He looked at Liverpool. He looked at West Ham and he, you know, looked at the upcoming fixtures and said, I'm gonna need players who are going to be able to deal with those periods of suffering. And maybe he looked at holding and thought holding is probably more uh, accustomed to be able to do that is probably wrong in the end. Um, but on the evidence of today, I think, you, you know, you make a really important point with Jorginho because he was talking to players lots. He was, he was, he was there. He was chirping away. He was conducting. 
He was conducting the game. He was he was making sure it was played at the pace that we wanted it to play. And and maybe that was it. Right? And with him, you know, Kibi or perhaps is you, you make up for that lack of experience by having someone like him. And I agree that he was fantastic. But let me ask you about Xhaka. What do you think about him, mate? Because let's let's cast our mind back to St. James's Park last season. Xhaka was the one who came out and did the press conference after the game. And he was really open and honest. He basically said we were crap, basically said that we don't deserve. He said we don't even deserve to play Europa League football if we put in performance like that. Really scathing, said we've got to look at ourselves. Really, really, really like scathing. And, and you know, he got criticism a little bit if you remember in the sky studio because they were just like oh i don't know who he is to say stuff like that you know he's been rubbish all season or whatever like crap that they were saying um when i think in fairness you know all the guy was the guy was blaming himself as well that day you know he he said it back then he's made some comments in the build-up to this game as well where he was just talking about you know having to to show more than we did last season I'm not going to, you know, start it off. You tell me, what did you think about him today? How, how compare him today to maybe him last season? Yeah, I thought, I thought he was brilliant. I think, especially defensively, he really, really put a shift in. And, you know, he, you know, there was, a, I think it culminated with that block. I'm not sure who it was on. Willick. Was it on Willock? Uh, yeah. The second one or the first one? Oh, I was thinking about the second one. Yeah, the second one he dived and he kind of just dived in. Yeah, so against Willock, um, which I thought was phenomenal. There's a couple of other times where he got back really well and just helped the defense out because I think um it, Gabriel was at times left quite isolated in a few things. And I think then to just get up the other end of the pitch and try and keep play moving. Um no, I think he was he was really good and I think he's just been really good all season and you have to just give him so much credit. I think I, I've always thought Jacker is a great player, but he will do one or two dumb things every season. He probably costs you six to nine points and he has done right. Let's be real for the last seven or eight years. Granite Jacker has done two or three ridiculously stupid things every season. But a lot of that was because he was basically playing as a number six um, basically being asked to do what Thomas Partey is doing now and being put under a lot of pressure. And he was at times quite immature and, you know, he got sent off. He was very harshly treated by referees and we, you know, he'd just lose his call. And you had to be fair, you saw that today, right? There were a few times where I was like, this guy is, is, is just a nutter. <laughs> um, I think today he challenged, like he channeled that, um, that anger, that frustration, that passion into just working really, really hard. And he's got the technical ability to to do what he can do. And I'm just really glad that Arteta has been able to find him this role, which finally gets the best out of him and minimizes all of those liabilities, because this will hopefully be the first season where he doesn't cost us <laughs> multiple points. Yeah, yeah. A season actually actually the only time he probably did cost us points was when he was ill when he missed the game and Vieira had to play right and you saw <laughs> you saw how bad Vieira was and how much we missed Jacker and um I think a few people said that even against Man City probably wasn't fully um fully re- fully fit or fully recovered yeah. and you saw a difference of fully fit fully ready Xhaka makes 
when he's playing like the way he's playing at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, obviously Man City away is arguably the hardest game that in, in, in Europe, um, in theory. But um, as far as the Premier League goes, on the base of this season, this is arguably the second hardest game aside from going away to Arsenal. Do you know what I mean? Like, so, you know, this was, it was a really classy performance from the guy. I think, you know, you talked about, you know, today he was getting, he was getting wound up sometimes. It, it was sort of nice in some ways. I think he sort of took a leaf out of Jesus's book who I think, you know, Jesus has got this, just this magnificent ability. I think Jesus of just, of being on the pit, looking really emotional on the pitch. So he's there getting really wound up. He's get, Jesus gets involved in all that kind of stuff. But the immediate thing that he does after that is always quite a clever thing. It's almost like he can be, it's just like he's acting. He's just, you know, when he's really emotional, he's doing all that. It's almost like it's, it's either that he's acting or he's able immediately after that afterwards to go, how can I get, the most out of this situation now and will draw a clever foul and you know like someone like jacka you know he's not historically been good at doing that jacka will be the one who gets annoyed and then will go do something dumb afterwards after getting annoyed right he felt it was a little bit better and i don't know if jc's help help set the tone there um but i want to um t- talk about another thing that was in the comments right about zinchenko because we've talked about this and um, and again, I think that the substitution today of Zinchenko for Tierney at that time that it happened was was fantastic because we needed to have more defensive stability. And I thought Tierney was brilliant when he came on, by the way. I thought he was excellent. But so there's a problem I find like with this, right? With there is this narrative that Zinchenko is costing us at the back. And I I agree that I think that he is not great defensively. I think he's bad defensively, but he's not great defensively. Um, but when you, I was, I was sort of thinking about this after the game a little bit, the inverted fullback position, part of the reason why it is so hard to play is because the skill set to play is just ridiculously unique, right? You need someone who has the ability to defend as a fullback at a good level and also play as a central midfielder when you have the ball. But it's also the bit in between, which is the transitioning between those two roles and how you navigate that's really difficult. And if you look at the players who have played that in in other teams, and not that many other teams do it, but let's look at Man City, they've struggled so badly to fill that position properly. Even when they had Cancelo, who was at one point, you know, one of the best players in the Premier League for like a period of time, still it was deemed that he was not good enough to, to navigate the requirements of that role, right? And he's, he's gone to Bayern Munich and that's not necessarily been a big success yet. There, there's still a lot of question marks about that. I was thinking about, you know, then Pep's tried Rico Lewis. I know that, you know, it's a, he's a, a younger player, but the point is, you know, even Pep with all his resources to find the inverted fullback of his dreams has had to kind of go to an academy product because he can't, you know, find one. David David Alaba, when he was at Bayern Munich, I feel when he's had to play that role, I recall there being question marks about him for the same reasons. I think they were like, oh, well, you know, it's all well and good when he's playing that defic- that position, but he's he's Bayern Munich are suffering defensively. Is it is it less about Zinchenko and is it just about the role? Is what where I'm going with? Yeah, I think I think so. I think look, there are obviously situations where Zinchenko can and should do better, right? Like the Liverpool game, yeah, just deal with that situation yeah. the Chelsea game where where I think where we're complaining is 
like have been the high profile individual errors, right? And a player as good as Zinchenko, he knows and Arteta knows that he shouldn't be doing those things. And actually, over the course of a season, he hasn't really made too many of those. But you're right, the reality is we we basically don't play with a left back when Zinchenko's on the pitch, right? And we've basically got a midfielder trying to sometimes play a left back's job. Do what left do a left back's job. And um look, I think we like Zinchenko when he's like in midfield, I think he's phenomenal. Like he's all over the place. He's on the left, he's on the right, he's in the middle, he's up top, he's out wide. And we really, really benefit in most games where he does that. I think today probably showed that there are probably some games where actually we need a left back and we don't need a midfielder. And yeah. and actually it was, like you said, a really smart move by Arteta to say actually this this situation dictates dictates us needing a left back first, midfielder yeah. second. And um and he did that. And I think look, Kieran Tierney, when you when you want a left back who um who doesn't need to do the midfield stuff, like Kieran Tierney is about as good as they come in the Premier League. Yeah, he really is. So and I thought he had a really, really good game. Um and I think fair play to the manager for recognizing that, recognizing it early and um, and doing something about it. Because again, if he doesn't do that substitution, maybe Newcastle score. We don't know, right? Um, but actually, I think just in general about like the system and how we play, I do think Arteta does need to figure out what our plan B is when this plan A for whatever reason, isn't working either because, you know, most games in the Premier League next season, you'd expect that system is good enough to compete and does well, right? But when in these really, really tough away games, Man City away, Newcastle away, maybe when we go to Anfield, where, like we said, where we need to suffer, right? And where you're expected to suffer, maybe we need to think of a way where actually we don't suffer with Zinchenko. We, we suffer with a proper left back, like a proper back four or a back five mm-hmm. or, or whatever it is. And Did we see a glimpse of it today? Like, um, and do you think that's a formation that could be used in other games from the start? Cause what we saw was not only Tierney come on as a more traditional fullback, but we went to a proper engine room three in the middle. It's like the Liverpool, the, the sort of Klopp style three of just, you know, Xhaka, Partey, Jorginho. So there's no creativity there, really, right? It's just an engine room. Do you think that's something that could fit what you're saying? Yes, yeah, uh, possibly. I think you can do that when you're 2-0 up, right? But I think Tierney came on at 1-0. And then I think we did run with Tierney. Like Tierney, Xhaka, Jorginho, Odegaard for a little while as well. Um, but yeah, because I think that there's other things with Tierney, right? We've seen it when Tierney's on the pitch, Martinelli, Tierney doesn't really work. Maybe we then bring Trossard on instead. Um, but yeah, look, we've got this plan A and we've got this first 11 and it works. It works really well. What we need to know now is what do you do when, let's say, Zinchenko's out injured? Do you get Tierney to do the Zinchenko thing or do you go with something that actually gets the best out of Kieran Tierney or whoever the left back is next season? Personally, I wouldn't want to see Tierney sold, but if we did sell him, then do you get another left back who can do what Zinchenko can do? Or do you get another Kieran Tierney? Um, or do you get a, like a Tomiyasu like left back, for example? Um, yeah. So yeah, look, it's, it's food for thought for next season. 
but generally I thought this was a game where Arteta's substitutes were actually really good and I've criticized his substitutes quite a bit recently because I think he's got quite a few wrong but I feel like you know this bringing Tierney on bringing Partey on bringing Trossard on they were all very good substitutes and it seemed like we managed the the last third of the game very very well completely agree and I I've, I would go as far as say I think it's his Arteta's best game in terms of substitutions just selection substitutions from that perspective I think it was his best game so you could probably argue that it's one of his best games in management as an Arsenal kind of boss given that what you said as well about him controlling the pre-match press conference and stuff like that so look man great to see let's talk about context right because um I mean yeah brilliant result um I say but but you know like we we are now the league table looks um like there's one point between us and Man City. So Man City, you've got 82 points. We've got 81. Obviously, they played a game less. Okay. The fixtures are interesting, right? So we have Brighton at home. It's hard, uh, but at least we're at home. Um, we've got Brighton at home, and then we've got uh, Forest away, and then we've got Wolves at home. And Man City have got um, a really interesting set of games, which are um, kind of dissected by Champions League games, right? So they've got... Um, Everton, uh, they've got Everton away, and then I think the champ is a Champions League game the next week. Oh, I don't yes. know. Champions League game is is it is it this week coming up? Yeah, yeah. So they've got yeah, they're playing on Tuesday. Then they've got Everton on the Sunday, and then Madrid again on the Wednesday after that. Yeah, and and then they've got Chelsea, and then they've got Brighton away, and then Brentford away. Right now, mate, this is not easy. Right, like because Gary Gary Neville sort of put it quite well, I think, um, in the post match uh, when he was talking about what this result, what Arsenal result, result might mean for um, City, and he basically said, you know, City aren't gonna, I don't think City are gonna be worried necessarily. It's not like after this game, watching the Arsenal result, they're gonna be like, oh my god, oh shit, and they're not gonna, you know, mentally crumble just at that. But it is basically like a a nut like an elbow in the ribs i think was his analogy right hmm. where it's just it's just annoying and it's one of those things where pep knows that you you can't, you're going away to a team that's battling relegation you're going away to a Sean Dyche team battling relegation in between two of the biggest fixtures in man city's history in between the two fixtures really that is what pep's there to do win the championship yeah, the two team, that they right? want to win more than anything like let's be honest we we know the title's important it's everything for us it isn't everything for them um you're right yeah it's it's gonna be really interesting and i i hate that this team have got me back into this now (laughs) yeah yeah so how do you feel is it is it too little too late this or are we back in it mate it we're more in it than we were at the start of the day (laughs) (laughs) yeah um I don't know, man. I, if you ask me, I mean, look, City are still favourites to win every single game they play. Like, someone showed me a screenshot of like City's games this season. Where, yeah, it's like one of those websites where they colour code it like green for win, like yellow for draw, red for loss, or something. And it was basically all green. They've basically like won every single game in every single competition they played, except for like the odd cup game, like 
Brentford, Everton, and that's it, basically, and Forest or something. Non- like, it's nonsense. They win it all the time. So for us to expect them realistically to lose and draw a game, I think that's very unlikely. Um, what I think is going to happen, which is going to be really annoying, is we will they will probably draw one game or something like that. And they will get frustratingly close. But I don't think they will drop enough points to for it to be significant. But look, we've we've just got to we've just got to get to ninety and see and make them get to ninety one or even get to ninety or ninety one, ninety two, whatever it is, right? And we look, funny things can happen, right? We went to Everton and we lost. So um maybe like in between a Champions League semi-final, maybe, you know, there's a couple of injuries and they don't want to risk people in that, that game. They rotate a bit more than they should. Pep does something really weird. Um, if if Everton can get something, then it gets really interesting because I think the way the fixtures work is that obviously on Sunday, um, Man City or on like the one o'clock game or whatever it is. And then we, we play Everton at four. So if Everton gets something there, I think the Emirates is going to be absolutely buzzing. Mm. And then I believe we then play Forest. Um, is that on a Saturday? I think that's when we're it's thinking Saturday of going. Yeah, it's a Saturday 5.30. So we play Forest. Um, and then, yeah, and then, yeah, and then City have got to go to Chelsea, Brighton. City have got to play Chelsea at home. Then they go to Brighton away. And then we both play in the last game of the season, right? Yes. Is how it works, right? So if we can beat Brighton, then regardless of what happens, if we beat Forest, City will basically have two games in hand on us before the last game. Right, and then the pressure's all on them. Then they've got to play Chelsea at home, Brighton away, Brentford away. Um, I think we just have to take it to that point. We have to beat Brighton. We have to beat Forest, and then there's if City then go and beat Chelsea, beat Brent Brighton, then it's done. I think. But if something doesn't happen, then at least we go into the last day with a chance. And if from this position we can go into the last day of the season with a chance of winning the league, I think that's a a really good achievement. And then who knows what can happen? You're right. I mean, who knows? You're right. I think that I get the feeling that if it went down to the last day, I think that City would do it. That's my feeling. And so I really feel like a lot needs to happen in the next two games because the goal difference is frustratingly damaging for us isn't it because if city out of these four games if city draw two and win two that's enough for them yeah and that's really annoying that's really annoying because like that would feel like you know it feels like it feels a lot to ask for something more than that i mean it you know but who knows like you say who knows i mean there is chelsea are on form now so Chelsea are on four, man. Like, <laughs> come on, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, but who knows? That, but again, that's not. So, with, with, again, narratives. Chelsea haven't got anything to play for per se, but they've got players who have things to play for individually. 
right? Trying to stamp them. Yeah, out. I mean, this is this is when we started to clutch at straws because okay, Chelsea yeah. are awful, man. But yeah, I agree with you. Um, but look, yeah. funny, funnier things have happened. <laughs> funnier but things ha- have happened. I, um, I I think Everton have got a better chance of getting something than Chelsea do, in my opinion. Uh, but let's if 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 it, if if Everton's a draw, then it gets interesting. It, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm always a doubt that, like that. If I feel like if Everton, if Everton win, yeah, then I, I don't know how I feel because well, obviously, it's, obviously, it's great because they've dropped points. But I feel like if they win, I can imagine Pep and the players really, really picking themselves up for the final three games. But I feel like if they were to draw one. Um, then they might still feel like, oh, okay, you know, we 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 can still afford to draw another one, and then you know, who knows, they lose a, 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 another game. So I get put it this way: like I'm always thinking, I can see a if we are going to win the league, I can almost see a City drawing one before they lose one type scenario. Um, but look, that look at the end of the day, look, the more and more I think about it, the more even through this conversation, it's still it's still an outside chance. <laughs> it's still very much an outside chance. Yeah, I mean, look, Everton are rubbish. Chelsea are rubbish. I think the way you, if it does happen, they'd probably have to lose away to Brighton and then draw away to Brentford. Yeah. But it's annoying because like, yeah, like Everton are rubbish and Chelsea are rubbish, but like Leeds are rubbish and Leeds up two, it was 2-1, yeah. you know, like it's yeah. not, it's very. Fulham was 2-1, I think as well. So. Fulham was 2-1, exactly. This is just, that's just torturous, mate. It's torturous. Anyway, um, before, before we close off the show, I want to talk about Man United. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. it's just, do you, do you know, like, they were in a title race, apparently. I don't know if yeah. you heard that. Yeah, I did. But apparently they were in a title race. Man United are back. <laughs> yeah. They were in a title race. Um, and it seems like they're not in a title race anymore. In fact, they're in a race for top four. They're in a genuine battle now to finish fourth. Yes. That's, that's, that's awful, man. Like from like banter aside. Yeah. Okay. Look, I'd never really thought that they were in a title race, but they were, they were up there. I didn't think fourth was in question. And, and now it's interesting. Cause I was actually, I was listening to the, before we got, when, uh, before, before we went live, I was listening to the United stand. Cause I really like Mark Goldridge. And I, I like, I actually think he's one of the better like pundit actually like i really rate him as a pundit i, I really like li- like you know what he talks about um you know and, and how he talks about united it was really interesting when he was basically he was, he was really calling them out but in a really observational matter of fact way where he's basically just like it really wasn't very long ago where the man united players were literally you know high-fiving off they'd win a throw-in they were like the camaraderie was like <laughs> amazing there was this period and it's just it's just gone absolutely crap again and like almost like someone snapped their you know someone's clicked their fingers and and it's just been a car crash in terms of camaraderie like there's no chemistry like some of those big players like Casemiro just can't be asked right they're just like dipped completely different like something's happened and you know he wasn't blaming uh, Ten Hag because you know I think his view which I disagree with is that you know, the squad is, is awful and it's kind of, you know, it's not, it's not the manager's fault. It's the, 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 the squad's terrible and, and he's overachieving. Um, 
but like you know seriously man like they have just they've just they've lost two games in a row at the business end of the season liverpool could do it they could do it there's a similar scenario right so they're a point behind but you know have played a game more um what, any, any thoughts on Man United, man? You've got, you know, obviously a close uh, Man United fan, uh, you know, supporter in the family. What's, yeah, the, what's I, the perception? Uh, I think, uh, honestly, I've not seen anything good from Man United in a long time. I think the reason they were where they were a few months ago was basically because Rashford was in the form of his life. Um, and for about three months... Rashford was probably the best player in the Premier League and basically scoring at a ridiculously high rate and was super clinical and every half chance he converted and fair play to him. And now, and now he scored three in two months. Yeah, and I think he, he was an excellent finisher and he still is an excellent finisher. Um, and, you know, Casemiro was playing well, Fernandez was playing well, Eriksen was playing well. And De Gea was playing well. De Gea was playing well. De Gea was saving a lot and he was just keeping them in games where they probably didn't deserve to lose. And I think ultimately these things just catch up with you. And um, I think over the course of the season, I don't think they've been the third best team in the country. I think Newcastle have been the third best team in the country. So I think, you know, over the course of the season, they're probably the fourth best team in the country. And that's probably quite fair. But are they that much better than Liverpool? Are they that much better than Tottenham? Are they that much better than Brighton, for example? No, I don't think they are. And I think, you know, this this idea that, you know, I think you look at what Gary Neville often tweets, is like, oh, it's the Glazers' fault. It's the Glazers' fault. Like, the Glazers didn't go and buy... And Anthony for how many million? 80? Yeah, nine, something like that. Um, They didn't go and like gamble their whole season on Casemiro, who's like 34, being able to play twice a week. It's no surprise Casemiro's legs are like fading because he's been like basically running their midfield for almost all season, except when he's suspended. And he's just a bit knackered now because he's 34 and they've given him uh, a massive long contract. Um, De Gea Gea is the most inconsistent goalkeeper in in the Premier League by far because he will pull off some incredible, incredible saves. Yeah, he's the most gifted shot stopper. Yeah, and then he'll just lose concentration or or do something dumb and then um, cost cost them a game. And I I saw briefly just before we, we, we started today that Ten Hag's considering giving him a new contract which I think is like bonkers, but yeah. Is that cause he's, but he's out of contract, isn't he in the summer? Is that why? Okay. Fair enough. I think so. Yeah. They probably want to sell him. Right. Fair enough. Um, yeah. I just, I think this summer is going to be very, very interesting for Ten Hag because this is a summer that he has to get right. Um, and if he brings in another Anthony who completely fails a Sancho, I'm not sure if Sancho was a Ten Hag signing or not, but um a Sancho or like a Casemiro, yeah, like um, if he brings in like some of these players, then you really have to say like, where is he going with this team? Um, because I think Rashford has done him a lot of favors this season. Um, and look, he hasn't really been able to get the balance of this team, right? He's got an, you know, aging Ericsson at the back. Like what is, 
like where are Man United going? Like what are they who are they building their their next five, six, seven years on? Um it's not going to be Casemiro. It's probably not going to be Fernandez. You could say it's Rashford. It's not going to be Martial. It's definitely not going to be about Veghorst, much to Nero's uh, dismay. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm just not sure where they're going as a team. So yeah, I mean, I, I really hope they do drop out of the the top four because I think that would a just be really funny, and I think. If they can get top four, it'll really help them rebuild. And I think another year out of top four might just actually kind of just push them towards the Europa League for like two or three more years. Yeah, I completely agree. They've got it's difficult for them, right? Because I think even with financial fair play and stuff like that, they've got huge contracts. Yeah. Their players. You know, like um Anthony was on about 200k a week, I think. So, you know, Maguire, like they're on big money and they can't sell them. Like, yeah. Not that they're looking to sell Anthony, but like, you know, it's hard to shift players when they are on that kind of money, right? We've, we've experienced that in the past when yeah. pre players are on these big money. It's tough for them. Like, I'm really, I'm thoroughly enjoying it because, you know, I just, a lot of Man United fans I, I know are just very loud at times this season. And I think now it's getting to this point where, you know, you look at the league table and, you look at the you know longevity of being able to do it over a course of a season. There's a massive gulf between Arsenal and Man United. Arsenal are far, far, far better coached with far better team than Man United. Um, based on the season and, uh, and like Ten Hag's first season, like he'll implement his ideas. He'll have more time. I'm sure that he will. But you know, there's this squad is a very expensive squad. I, I, like I don't really buy into this narrative that like every time a new manager comes in, you automatically have to allow them to be like rubbish for a while. Yeah. Like that doesn't, it's not always the case. Like it, you could give that with Arteta because we needed significant surgery. Like that squad was like really poor, you know, Mustafi, Socrates, that kind of, that yeah. ilk, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's not the same thing. Um, so yeah, look, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I really, I really, I'd really enjoy Liverpool pipping them actually. Um, but yeah, Um, do you think Liverpool will catch? So I didn't think that United would, would lose to West Ham today, mm. and so on the basis of that, I, I think put it this way: I think Liverpool got a better chance of catching Man United than we have got catching City, and it's the same yeah. equation. <laughs> yeah, that's because, uh, yeah, definitely because United are a normal team. <laughs> yeah, and like, yeah, yeah. If this was any other team, we'd be like, yeah, we've got a decent chance of like catching City, but. They've got guys scoring a goal every like fifteen touches or something. They've got De Bruyne and they bring on Foden. It's, uh, it's so. I think we we talk about this. It's so disheartening watching Man City play. Like, like a like there's no spirit. There's no enjoyment. Like even their fans are bored of them winning. There's no like. <laughs> yeah. They just win, and you know, obviously that's great for them. Um, but. You just they have so much money, so much power, like a team that has consistently built up players and like got 30, 40, 50 million pound players in every position, every position on the bench. And you know, it's something that we need to build towards now because look, again, this is 
bordering on to like season review territory, but we we never set out to build a title winning squad this season. No. Um, yes. This was a squad that's supposed to compete with Man United. And we've done that. It's a squad that was supposed to compete with Tottenham. And we've done that, right? We were yeah, never... We complete, yeah. We've completed the mission. Yeah, we've done it. We've finished second. We've beaten all of those teams. Well done. Like, now it's like, how far can we push this squad? And look, it's no surprise that the only challenge it's failed on is, can it match City's win 15 games in a row pace in the last three months of season? No, it can't, because we're not at that stage yet where... We can bring on a Foden. We can bring on a Bernardo Silva. They've got like Calvin Phillips, who is one of the, you know, one of England's best midfielders over the last three or four years, um, who just can't get a game. He's he's there, El Nini. Yeah, exactly. Because um, they rotated their whole team. But the seven players they rotated for their last game and he didn't even play. Yeah, exactly. And they've got a hundred million pound Jack Graylish, who had a bad season and is now finally coming good. He's there, Fabio Vieira. Right. <laughs> like it's like the level is unreal and look, we haven't been able to get yet, get there. And the frustration is like, could we have gotten there with a little bit more concentration, a few minor tactical tweaks? Maybe. Um, but it's like City have got 15, 16, 17 good players. Right. We've probably got 12, 13 and Hopefully in the summer we can actually start to address that where we get 14, 15, 16 good players. Because you saw it today, right? You said um, the way we brought on Trossard and Partey, mm. that is what we want to be doing every substitution. Yeah. Like we want to bring on quality, quality, trusted players who we know are good. Mm. Um, and we're just not there yet. But that's okay. We'll get there. Agreed. Well, look, positive day to be an Arsenal fan. Um, um, you know, both of us clearly incredibly proud of the performance and and the tail is wagging, you know, like it's not over. Uh, so at least it makes it interesting. Um, look, come on. I mean, we're going to be huge Everton fans, um, uh, you know, next weekend. Massive. But we still got to do our bit. So, yeah. Big game against Brighton as well. We haven't previewed Brighton at all. And I'm no, not no. sure like if we really want to... Um, well, how about this? Let's not preview it massively, but give me your score prediction for Brighton. Uh, I think we will win 2-1. Is that because you can't bring yourself to think of us not winning? Uh, no, I think... I think Brighton will be a type of game where like, we can out-football them. They're a good team. But I think they, when they come up against other good tactical teams, I think they generally win because they're tactically better than most teams they play. Um, I think you it's very hard, unless you're Pep Guardiola, to do that to Arsenal. Um, we saw that when we went there, right? And we really yeah. just completely... Um, we did. We did give them a bit of a spanking. I think apart, this, right? Yeah. And yeah, like, yeah. I'm not sure who played for them that that day, but it'll probably be a very similar team. They're they're a really good team. I really like everything about Brighton, but hopefully we've got enough there to to match them. Yeah. 
I, I actually completely agree with that. I think that's a really good assessment. And, uh, like when I watched Brighton Man United the other day, the feeling I had watching that was I, I felt that both of those teams were a level below what Arsenal are at. And uh, I, but but I need to caveat that by saying all the things that you said about why you like Brighton like are the same reason I like them. They are a good, a really well coached side. They've got like loads and loads of good players. But I think they're just that one level below um, where we are. And I think they will come to Arsenal and they will play their. They'll try and play their game. And um, and I think that probably suits us. Um, you know, as long as we can not do silly things and just manage the game quite well, like then I think we'll win as well. So actually, I'm actually going to go for three-one Arsenal. Um, yeah, so good. We're both going for win. So um, look, fingers crossed. And how about we, we should probably do predictions for Man City games for the for the for the rest of the season as well. <laughs> uh, Everton, Man City. Ah, oh, I think three-nil Man City. Wow, it's not even going to be. I don't, no, I think they're just like. They suck the life out of me, man. <laughs> Every time I have, I'm like hopeful. I just watch them. And I'm just like that. No, there's no point. <laughs> so I'm going to be Mister Pessimistic. I'm going two one Everton, right? And that, like, I genuinely think that could happen. I'm gonna get. I'm gonna be wrong, okay? I, blatantly, because I was optimistic when we played against Man City, and you know, you you said we would get be- beaten four one, and we got beaten four one. So you're probably going to be right because you are on form. But it's sandwiched <laughs> in between Real Madrid, man. Like, it's huge. That game is huge, that, that Real Madrid tied. Massive. It's like the adrenaline, the focus, the, like, oh, man, like the tactical preparation for it. And then you've got to go away to, like, a Sean Dyche team who have to get any point that they possibly can. Like, it's just not going to be nice. Like, there's no Man City player who's going to play in that game against Everton and will go in for a challenge where they think there's any chance of them getting injured. They're not uh, going to do that, man. Are Real Madrid, I mean, a city at home or away in the first leg? Do you know? I don't know, actually. Do you, do, would you say that, do you think that would make a difference? Uh, I think if the away leg, let's find out. Let's just check. Let me just check quickly. Uh, so, okay. City are away in the first leg. Yeah. So, so yeah, after Everton, yeah, maybe like you know they've got an extra days travel to like deal with. You know, there's a one hour time difference, they might be jet lagged. <laughs> Everything. I think what we need is like a very very close game. What we don't want is like a three four nil, either way. Um, but actually, even if they City are four nil up, Madrid are probably the one team where. Even if you're four no up, you probably can't relax yet. Um, so, yeah, what we need is like a a one nil Madrid win or something like that. Um, and then, yeah, like City know that they need to turn up at home. They need they need their players fit. They might rotate a bit. Um, they might be tired. Injuries. I think that's what we need. What we need is a few knocks as well, where they don't want to risk their best players against Everton. Mm. And they say, just give them a week off. Um, and then maybe. And then maybe, man. We need all these things. We need. We just need the stars. We need the stars yeah. to align. We do. Right, let's pray. Okay. Thank you, Aaron. 
thank you so much uh good chat great great to talk to you as always and uh thank you everyone for listening um thank you russ for all your participation in the comments appreciate it as always mate um and yeah everyone have a fantastic week reflecting and basking in a in a lovely win all right good night